When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to this. It is the inaugural 2023 World Cup Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast. I had to think about that. There's a lot of words. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. And, of course, welcome, Tim Cocker, because you're broadcasting from France, our very own outside broadcast. How are you, mate? Bonjour, ça va? Uh, What unspeakable things have you been up to, Tim? Uh, What unspeakable things have I been up to? I have... uh, uh... I've been get, being very well. I'm, I've been looking after my hydration levels. Well imagine. done, essential. Very important in this heat. Yeah, it's so it's so bloody hot. Is it? I know it's been hot in the UK. I mean, I, in fact, I think the England team. Richard Wigglesworth in the press conference yesterday said uh, when he was asked about the weather, he went, "Well, it was apparently it was hotter in Manchester this week than uh, than the 2K where they were." Uh, is that true? I've no idea if that's true. It's it's definitely going to be. Pretty sweltering for them tonight as we record this. This is Saturday morning. Mm. Uh, the England game is tonight. And yeah, it was quite a late one, as you would imagine, uh, last night for me in Marseille watching France um, against New Zealand. You watched it back in the UK. Of course, the game didn't finish till like basically half past 11. Awesome. Um, so last uh, night, local time. Do you have a different opinion of Marseille now? Uh a little bit not not uh, there are nice areas there's a lovely piazza area where you i mean it was full of rugby fans yep. which uh, Helps. which probably the, the locals probably thought that spoiled the ambience a little bit although i think you know i think it added to it but um there are some nice areas the port is is lovely but you just go back a couple of streets and it's uh, do you know what it's I, I think i don't know whether it was you or phil mentioned this it does feel like naples yes it does doesn't it, it well all port towns do because they're meccas for crime and smuggling so it makes sense. Yeah. There was a lot of gendarme walking around with machine guns. Ooh. Making sure the locals, the, all the, just get a little warning shot to the pickpockets. Yeah, yeah. Very um, reassuring sight, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it. it's basically Marseille's edgy, but it's uh, it, it's fun. I've had, I've had nothing but a good time so far. Yeah. Right. Excellent. So, well, it started. It's all began. And um, why don't you tell me what you thought about the game first, and then we'll get into the details of you. Of your trip a bit. Well, do you know what about the what we should talk about just briefly first? Yeah, of course. Everything before the game, the opening ceremony. Oh, absolutely. We need to talk about that. <laughs> What's going on? I mean, I, I I don't watch opening ceremonies. I turned on for the anthems. What a diabolical shambles that was! 
I mean, it was very heartwarming to see um, President Macron getting booed. I don't know, actually. Is it? I mean, I sort of think that as much as I like politicians getting a good hiding in public, and I really do enjoy it, particularly ones that I don't like. I also think that when your head of state talks to a crowd, um, that in a, non, in a non-political event, he should really be given a bit more bit, bit more respect. So I'm kind of torn on it. I kind of do like the kicking that he got. I also think, like, isn't it a time where you show off your country and you all come together a little bit and, you know, he is the leader of the country. So, you know, maybe show a bit more respect. I don't know. I'm torn. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were booing the stereotypical uh, Frenchman on a bike with loads of baguettes yeah. in a basket. Perhaps. Or maybe it was like when Ruud van Nistelrooy used to play for... Um, for United, and he originally thought that they were booing him, but they were shouting rude. Maybe they're shouting something else at him, which is uh, you know, <laughs> supportive. Manu, exactly. Yes, exactly. There you go. We've just uh, we've just averted a political crisis right there. Thank God. Um, and yeah, right. So Lamarcier is. is <laughs> I was going to say one of. It's probably the great anthem, isn't it? How can how can you butcher it? I, I don't know. I don't know. The only thing that I can say about that uh, choir is thank God it was suitably diverse because it was absolutely dreadful at everything else. How does this go wrong? You've got your country and you're showcasing its brilliance and you've got the national anthem. You'd have thought that this would be like a call for all of the greatest singers and musicians in France to assemble and do the best possible, the best possible version of their anthem. Instead, it was unrecognisable so um, David Guetta did that one world concert thing where he was, <laughs> was it the George Floyd concert or something like that well, it was something it was after that wasn't it but anyway uh, David Guetta did that and I can't remember there's that there's that one clip of David Guetta shouting something on the microphone uh, he, wouldn't yeah. get up, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't get up in Paris for this come on come on David yeah on, David Guetta didn't actually play are you still telling me he played the open, open ceremony it was just are you just referring to the... no, no I'm, say, I'm saying what, what you know he couldn't even be bothered to turn up for this one I, like if they're gonna no. if they're gonna mess about with the Marseillaise at least get David Guetta to do like a a, a sort of French house techno remix completely agree I, I didn't see any of the opening ceremony and I'm very comfortable with my decision to do that and I'm really reg- oh the hacker was the hacker's getting worse I, I didn't think it could get worse the hacker is getting worse so let's track it back to its origins in like whenever it was. Sorry, it's rugby origins. I'm sure some absolute buffoon is going to tell me. No, it actually originated, you know, during some war or some such thing. If you look at it in the 70s, it's like, it looks like middle-aged men dancing. It's horrendous. But in a way, it's better than what we have now. So they now go into a huddle for some team breathing or some little chit-chat before. And then they go into the hacker. And now they've started using props. I don't know, and I don't mean the good type either. I don't mean the ones which which push in scrums. I mean, like, Aaron Smith was holding a cross between a paddle and a spear. And I don't know what it was. I don't know what it signifies. Why is it there? Just get rid of it. But this is going to be, this is going to proliferate now. We're going to see no end to this. We're going to see bloody grass skirts, or we're going to see war paint. It's going to continue and continue and continue. Because the thing with a hacker is there's never... That's enough now, boys. That hacker's that hacker's plenty. They've got to do something new all the time. So expect this to be an ongoing trend. No, my rule now would be no props for any tribal war dancing. Uh, I, I I love the hacker. I actually didn't really. I I, bet I was maybe a bit distracted. I didn't actually notice the the paddle thing. You, you but, probably, um, it's, it's obviously of Maori origin. 
I mean, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, you were probably smashed at this point, Tim. You're probably all over the show. No, I was. No, I was. Of course not. I was very, very, keeping it together. Very responsible. Excellent. I've got, I've got work to do the rest of the weekend. Anyway, the game began, and uh, New Zealand out of the traps. Yeah. My so, goodness me, France, I thought, oh dear. Well, just back to the anthem, aside from the lack of quality, I did think, like, is this an omen? Like, if they don't get the, I mean, it's a cliche to say French run, run on passion. And I don't think that is true for this team. I think they run on professionalism. But still, having your anthem butchered so early on, I thought, is this, is this an omen for what's about to happen? And you're absolutely right. Within a minute and a half, New Zealand had scored. Yeah, I think the counterbalance to that, that point about ruining the anthem is they got the kit spot on because as I've been talking about, when they do the different coloured socks, shorts and, and shirts, so they, the trickle or colours are all different. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful sight. Do you know, I'm torn on that again. I do like, I do like it. I'm not going to lie. I do like it a lot. However, I also like France in blue. I think France look best in blue. But that Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. Favorite. Obviously, they had to change because, well, one team had to change, but um, yeah. But if it was blue shirt, white shorts, red socks, I mean that that that's that's the perfect one. But I just I love the trickle or the different colours. So uh, so if, if we're saying that the anthem was the reason why New Zealand were uh, up early, and the the kit was why France came back through Thomas Ramos with three kicks in the first half to go in at nine eight. It was a cagey first half, wasn't it? So cagey. I think that's a really good really good description of it. Thomas Ramos was amazing in. In, in in the first half, except for one drop ball, I thought he was absolutely flawless. He's a special talent. He yeah. just handles the pressure. He just looks so relaxed. I was trying to think of which player he reminds me of. Um, and I've got two in mind. One, uh, one will everyone will know, um, and one and another one you will know, and you'll probably appreciate this analogy, and no one else will know him. So the first one would be like a really classy Finn Russell. And not that Finn Russell's not classy, and I don't mean in a uh, an actual class sense, but just like, I don't know, he does very remarkable things, very calmly and coolly, and I, I love that. And he seems to be the piece of the French jigsaw, which just moves around continuously, and can, you know, he plugged in at scrum half very nicely, he can go first receiver very nicely, he can, do, he can do all sorts. And the other guy he reminded me of, Tim, Tim, which is, this is a remarkable thing, which I'm about to say, Playing with Ronan O'Brien at Broughton Park. Like I was just gonna say you're not gonna say bloody Ronan. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like you look at this guy, like his unremarkable stature. And but just makes all the right decisions, kicks at the right time, deceptively strong. I mean, I'm I'm describing I'm describing Ronan O'Brien now, and everyone's like, who? What? Who is this guy? He's a guy who's I love it. This on this podcast where we compare maybe the best fullback in world rugby at the moment, to... <laughs> a 42-year-old ex Broughton Park player. <laughs> Mid-2000s, level 7 fullback. I tell you what, I would not be surprised if Ron O'Brien was the best fullback to play level 7 in the country for a long for a long time, for a prolonged period of time. <laughs> oh, dear, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, so those that was, my, uh, <laughs> that was my player comparison for who was probably the greatest fullback at the time, uh, of our time at the moment. He was, he was extremely good. Um, New Zealand managed to shackle Dupont. They sort of took care of business up front mm, relatively well. Let's talk about that a second, actually. So yeah. I do agree. Dupont was not very Duponty. That that that's undoubted. Like when he does his little scrambly runs, he normally breaks tackle. You were right about that. He, 
he couldn't really get any space. All his normal bag, bag of tricks just didn't seem to work. But I thought where he did quite well is he slotted back into a very conventional role. So he got all his nuts and bolts right. His passing was okay. His his kicking combined with Ramos. I was talking to Phil about this because I watched it with him. Like, they would start the kicking battle in their 22 and the New Zealanders on, say, the 10 metre. And they would gradually win win the kicking fight. And I thought that was really impressive by France because they weren't messing around first half. Everything got kicked. Everything within their 10 metres got booted. And New Zealand struggled. They struggled with the length of their kick and I think they struggled with the con- the contested kicks too because it seemed to me that when Bowden Barrett got the ball, rather than kick long, he was kicking to contest. And Thomas Ramos got some an amazing uh, contested jumps. Well, yeah, and he earned himself a yellow card from Will Jordan's naivety as well. I think that was actually the story of the game, really, was the the control that France had through the boot. And you're right to mention Dupont and obviously Jalabert. Uh, mm. Great 50-22 from him at a key moment in the game. Yeah. Ramos at the back. And so they, they had this, and it just, I don't know, I, I think they really missed Geordie Barrett, New Zealand, didn't have that 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 boot in the side. Um, and I think it's it's another reason why Damian McKenzie on, on the bench would would be an option because in these tight games th- that kicking battle is so massive and I think that was the story of the game. Well, I think there's, I think there's two things. Well, there's definitely one thing going on here, which is they seem to be kicking contested balls. They seem to think that's the way forward rather than going for length. So, uh, like Jordy, Jordy, Bowden Barrett has got a fearsome boot. He's as good as anyone, but he didn't do what I expect. I, I expect I expected him to do. Um, I guess the second thing would be, I would hope that they'd change up, uh, change up their kicking style and tactics. And Thomas Ramos does this automatically. Like some of his very low lofted kicks into the corner are incredibly impressive and very useful too. Yeah, you're right. New Zealand didn't have that range. And whether that was by design or uh, limitation of skills, I don't know. Yeah. Um, There was a great moment and... uh... And our friend Robin on the on the group spotted it, and I heard it on the commentary as well. On French TV, Gregory Aldrich running full steam into contact, massive run up, yes, right, almost like one of those. I loved it. It was old school. It was like I'm going to run at the man. I'm going to run straight at you. And uh, and the commentator in France just went uh, on on the replay. Um, Allez, Greg, boom, <laughs> voila. Love it. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> he, he was immense. It was a good carry. That it. it, it... It was a good carry. It reminded me of there's an Australian fella in the championship, not this year, but last year, who had a run up from his own 10 metre line all the way into the New Zealand defence and just went storming forward. But sadly, much like Aldrich did, got absolutely nailed. Now, Aldrich made a couple of yards in, in, in fairness to him. I want to say Jed Holloway. Is he a big back, back row? Yeah, yeah, he's a blindside for Australia. Yeah, a massive blindside, just goes straight. Uh, I thought there's a lesson there in elite professional rugby. Doesn't matter how fast and powerful you are. If you're running in a straight line, you're going to get ended. Don't do that ever again. So what do you reckon overall we learn or think about these teams after Mm. the game that we didn't already think beforehand? Well, from New Zealand, my takeaway is that although their talent, as in the individuals involved, are still world-class, I've sadly had to come to accept that they are still world-class. What they're not world-class at, is the rubbish jobs. So for me, when New Zealand made a break, their clear-out work was terrible. Like, it wasn't terrible. I mean, it was passable. 
uh, as a tier one international team, which means it's quite high standard, but it wasn't at the top end. And that gave France far too much opportunity around the breakdown, whether it be counterworks or whether it be stealing or just slowing the ball down in general. Uh, New Zealand looked lazy to get there. And I think past incarnations of the New Zealand team recognise that, yes, they're brilliant, but their brilliance has to be complemented by hard work. And they didn't have that. It wasn't like a, yeah, it was a like, like a lack of awareness. Uh, so that was what I'd take from New Zealand. And from France, well, the takeaway here is that they can win with a multitude of different players not being available to them. And they're not just about enormous men getting, getting over the gain line because their enormous men weren't really present. They had big men, but they didn't have, well, they, yeah, but they didn't have like um, an enormous second row, far from it. Their back row up. You know, they're tall, certainly they're rangy, but they're not the absolute monsters which they've fielded in the past. So, oh, and also Jonathan, Don- Jonathan Dante is not, not around. So yeah. the gain line animals which they've had for so long, they weren't there. And they still won. But, and they won without yeah, some they, really key players. They won with a lot of room for improvement, a lot of key players. Julian Marchand going off could be important, but Piazza Malvaca was immense as well. Wasn't he, he so just... I, I think we knew it already, but I think... What this game highlighted was that France's 33-man squad is much better than New Zealand's 33-man squad. Yeah. Do, do you think this game... Well, one of the ways I looked at it is everyone was cagey and the difference between the two teams is how many players stood out from that. So Dupont didn't. Malvaca absolutely did. Ramos absolutely did. On the New Zealand side, they had... Who stood out for them? As in, like Rico Ioani? A little bit. Uh, I was going to say Scotty Barrett. Scotty Barrett was running yeah. like a deer. Mm. I'm trying to think of someone else. But basically, the difference makers were the guys that weren't overawed by the occasion. Not the Talea, high obviously, with his two tries. Say, say again? Talea, Talea that's the one. With his two tries. And he was a slippery little runner, wasn't he? Generally. He's very good. I mean, he's very predictable what he does. Um, he's fast and he steps inside. But, you know, if you've got a trick and it works all the time... As um, the, the new coach, he's a little bit like Johnny May, circa twenty seventeen. Johnny May mixed with Anderson Silva. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, do you know? Do you know Mark Talaya's heritage? No. He is, I think, his mum's Samoan, and his dad's South African, or it could be the, the other way around. And when I heard that, I was like, "Is it any wonder he's good at rugby?" He's a he's a very good rugby player, isn't he? Just he's very young as well, so yeah, it's a lot of room to grow for him. So he uh, was and, sorry, go on. No, 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 crack on. Yeah, I was going to say he does a certain things very, very well. And as the coach of Talk H and I says, the new coach, um, <clears throat> uh, Liam Liam McGovern, don't get don't get bored of being good. In other words, if something's working, keep at it. I like that. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I like that. Um, he got lucky, didn't he, for both tries, I'd say. So the first one he got lucky because he let the ball bounce. That was an absolute lottery. And when you're on Pinot's wing, you've got to be very careful. How did that second try get allowed, Tim? Oh, do you not think it was a momentum rule? No. I mean, maybe yes. Okay, maybe yes. So the, yes. Ball, so, yeah, so the ball travelled forward. Yeah. But as we, as we know from the laws of physics... Uh, a ball can travel forward whilst having been passed backwards. Okay, so let's just put that to one side. Here's the thing which baffled me. There were no questions asked. It was not like, oh, is that momentum? Is it not momentum? Like, no questions were asked. I was like, we don't want to look at that. Like, no one's talking in the ear of the ref. Like, nothing's happening. 
Like they should have looked at it. Now, if they looked at it and said, yeah, momentum, I'll go, okay, fine. At least they've considered it. But to not consider it, I mean, the French team almost looked like they stopped playing. It was so obviously forward. And then, because Talia, I think, in my mind at least, and obviously eyewitness testimony is never the best, he slows down and then he accelerates again as if he thought he's going to get called call back and then he's in. Yeah. And all the French players just sort of stopped. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, yeah, a, a check would not have been, well, a check would have been logical and some one of the team. Again, I, I almost, because of the, I'm wondering, I can't wait to see, I'm not finishing the sentence at the minute, I can't wait to see the New Zealand pundits' reaction to this because are they going to be, because they'll have to be quiet about any sort of refereeing stuff because <laughs> if there was any rubber the green, they were the ones that got it despite the defeat. Yeah, I think you're probably right on you're probably right on that. And they can't complain about Will Jordan. No, Will Jordan was silly. Um, and did he have an altercation, a second altercation, but only got off with a penalty for it? Was that somebody yeah, else? Yeah, he, he slipped over. He um, he slipped and then Ramos's foot hit Will Jordan on the shoulder. So there's uh, not really what, what Jordan could do. It was, I think it was, pretty, it was pretty harsh even getting a pen, but then Will Jordan ran in. So, yeah, he just... Um, obviously, I think that was just frustration coming through, wasn't it? They, New Zealand... Just, yeah, miss- couldn't get a, couldn't get a foothold in the game second half. Will Jordan's someone who likes to have the ball in his hands, and he, he just didn't get the chance. Yeah, and it's worth remembering, isn't it, that these you know aerial skills now are so finely balanced, and there's so millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Much um, precision involved. That you have to be an absolutely world-class operator, and even those guys get it wrong. Because it's so difficult, which is why if you're an amateur, probably best stay on the ground. Because the chances of you being able to execute this properly is minimal, to put it mildly. So, yeah, but it was the position on the pitch that I thought was just so naive from Will Jordan. Ramos was on his own 22, and mm. just he, there was very little to gain by competing. So anyway, lesson learned for Will Jordan. I don't need to labour it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, just just um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game, cagey as it was. Do, do you think the? Do you think many? non-rugby fans or casual rugby fans would have sat and watched that and what do you think they would have made of it? I don't think they would have sadly. That's So the first half was hard watching. It was hard going for about 25 minutes. I turned around to Phil I was like because I watched it with Phil. I was like this isn't going well is it? Like, it's not a good game. It's very laboured, very cagey, lots of stoppages. The second half was a different kettle of fish altogether but you know it's like a novel. If you don't, if the first two chapters aren't gripping you, are you going to continue with that book? Probably, probably not. 
And yeah, that, that's kind of where this game was. It's the same for all opening games of almost all sports, though, isn't it? Like the opening game of the Football World Cup is probably not going to be a belter, at least until the second half. It was very cagey. So maybe this wasn't the best game for a neutral. I mean, it should be, though, shouldn't it? They're the two best teams on the planet. Yeah, I mean, I, two I, of the it should, should be fairly entertaining. I just I, looking forward. I just really, really hope that England put on some kind of show. I mean, I, oh, I'll they'll put on a, a show, all right, Tim. You won't enjoy it, but they'll put on a show. I'll, I'll take an ugly win. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I bet you will. In, in, in the press conference, just just sort of looking ahead slightly, um, the, the press conference, um, which Richard Wigglesworth and a couple of players, Joe, Joe Marchant and Alex Mitchell, were there um, when. Richard Wigglesworth was asked, what, what is it about Alex Mitchell that, you know, got him the nod? What's he been doing well? Bear in mind, he wasn't in the 33-man squad and then he's leapfrogged two guys that were picked ahead of him to start for England. Um, and Richard Wigglesworth said, oh, basically, he sort of said, oh, yeah, he's got a... He, he, he mentioned the broken field stuff, but he basically went, but his fundamentals are really good. He's got a great box kick. He's like, oh, okay. Uh... <sighs> I know where this is going. Oh, he did, he did say he had a very quick pass and he's quick to get to the ruck. So they're well, obviously trying to speed speed up. Um, I mean, speed up are these not like the entry-level required criteria for a scrum half? I mean, excuse me if you've been cynical, but Richard Wigglesworth's not exactly telling you things that we don't know. I mean, if of the nearly 70 million people that reside in the UK, okay, what is it, 40 million or, what? Well, I don't know, whatever the population is of England, You'd expect one of the best three scrum halves in the world to have a decent box kick and a fast pass, wouldn't you? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I think that, that, I think that's a fairly, that, yeah, that's a fair thing to a fair thing to say. A f- fair assumption. I, I think that is just the that's the Steve Borthwick um, team, though they don't give anything away. And like talking about the entertainment factor, and the reason I asked about the you know what do you think people w- would have made of that if they watched it on a Saturday night or a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Is because I just want rugby to thrive, and this is a brilliant opportunity to garner a bit of interest. And uh, Steve Borthwick, brilliant bloke, great coach. I just have my, my doubts about him as the the as, as the front man because I just think at this time, uh, and in a way, Australia have have lost five games, but they've got a front man in Eddie Jones, haven't they? They've got something that you can grab a hold of, love it or hate it. Something's you, going on there. You know it's there and there's something going on, yeah. Yeah, and we have to be careful when talking about the game. and like, How do we speed it up? How do we make it more attractive? Because I think a lot of these changes to make it more attractive are usually counterintuitive. They slow it down, they stop cohesion, they make coaches reinvent things, or if they've got to reinvent, or if they've got to stop things, they usually go to a more negative tactic than the one that they were previously using. There's a lot of things in rugby which you've got to be careful of in order to... Um, uh, sorry, when you're looking to quote unquote change the game. I mean, the the ultimate one for me is the box kicking. So we got to get rid of box kicking. Yeah, but box kicking drops players back, drop, dropping players back, back creates space. Then you've got the escorting forwards, and then before you know, it, one bright spark decides actually we're not going to box kick it. We're going to fling it out to the fly half. He's going to kick to the other side, where's an un, an unprotected catcher, and then all hell breaks loose, and it's great again. So in a way, just let rugby sort itself out because it will sort itself out, and. I usually think that most of the things in the game which we find quote-unquote boring are basically just bad legislation, bad lawmaking. I mean, the the other one is safety around scrimmaging. The safer you make scrimmaging, the more in-depth the process and the more narrow the skill set of the props, um, the better they get at those skills. So now we've got these unbelievable props who are just 
you know, you can't, you have to train full time for maybe the best part of a decade to be the shape of a professional prop. I mean, from the age of 16. Like, it's just, you have to really go at it all the time. Which means that the field the field for props is very narrow. It means that the thing that they do is very specialised. And it takes ages to get something like a scrum set up. But this is a product of really bad regulation. And it's always the same. The law, as Phil talks about all the time, the law of unintended consequences. No, 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 no. As I talk about all the time. As you talk about all the time. Yes. The law of unintended consequences, correct. Um, so I guess it's probably not worth talking too much more at this point, because there's, there's other games coming. So, well, we, there we are hop- two more things I'd like I'd like to mention. Yeah, one, yeah go on. Um, the absolute workover that the French scrum did on the New Zealanders. So, I think the first half it might have been three scrum penalties. There was definitely two. Um, whether that was guile or whether that was just raw power remains to be seen. Um, Weenie we, Antonio demolished his man. I mean, there wasn't much of a debate about that. Absolutely demolished him. Uh, the second uh, and Wardy as well. Is that how you say his name, Tim? Uh, Wardy. Reddy Wardy. Yeah. Raider Wardy. First off, I was like, mm, I've, seen him, I've seen him quite a bit for La Rochelle, and he doesn't stand out for La Rochelle, not because he's bad, but because everyone else is absolutely enormous and massive, and they're all the headline figures. But the first half, I was like, I haven't really seen him. But he's gone well. Second half, however, I don't know what happened in the in the locker room. But he came out flying, ball carrying. He looked like a he looked like a version of Ellis Genge that could actually scrimmage. It was very impressive. Um, so yeah, he, he was very good, and uh, I thought the the front row that came off the bench. We've already talked about Malvaka, but the two props, as yeah, Gross well um, and uh, Dorian Aldegheri. Yeah, again, very very, very good. good. Um, very and the good. other one is I keep wanting, I keep wanting to say Hastoy because his name is in my mind, but it's not Hastoy. It's Jalabert. Um He was quiet. But he seems to turn it on at the right times. And at the right times, yeah. That try. I mean, that He had big moments. Was, yeah, that first French try. Just, it was almost Finn Russell-esque, the way that he manipulated yeah. the defence. Oh, yeah. just one from you, one from you, Tim, whilst I'm on the Jolibert try. Um, I'll just um, preface this with, when, when Pernod went over, the comms team went, what a finish. I was like, what do you mean, what a finish? <laughs> Well, the, the finish had nothing to do with it. The fact that Jalibert uh, fixed one of the best back rows in the world, went sideways, drew in a winger, and then gave the ball in open space where there was previously no space. That's your that's your talking point, not what a finish. The finish was like, I could have finished that. Like, and it, it, it was easy. So, <clears throat> so the point I was trying to make is the comms. I, I, know, I know for a fact that they are trying to appeal to a non-rugby audience. But do you not think they're in danger of just patronising the viewer with some of the style that they're using? Mm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. <clears throat> like, some things are just not true. Like, uh, after the yellow card, it was New Zealand handled that with their customary professionalism. Did they? I don't remember that. Um, and there's a lot of sort of cliches and mailing it in, not really what I was hoping for. I want those comms to be talking in... You know, marginally high-ish technical terms, but explaining the technical terms, why these things are important. I was talking to a pundit yesterday who was working for ITV, and they're going to do a session on the set piece. And I was discussing what one of the most exciting things which um, I have seen anyone say um, 
at a, tr- a training session, which was when Tommy Taylor came down to Talk H. Uh, Tommy Taylor, for those that don't know, Sail Sharks, Wasps, and England, I think, are the hooker. And he was explaining how... Cap, yeah, got a... Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, go on. He was explaining axial loading. And then he went off on a tangent about what he calls cutting or slitting the, th- slitting the hooker's throat. I was like... And all of a sudden, it wasn't just the guys that were interested in scrimmaging that were listening. We had 50 lads absolutely transfixed on Tommy Taylor telling a story about how they sort of go sideways and they all go together and all come across the uh, across the scrum. And he made scrummaging really interesting, even to those that hate scrummaging and don't understand it and never want to understand it and never want, want to be in a scrum. And I was like, you should say that. It's like, there's no way ITV will let me talk about slitting the hooker's throat. I said, well, call it something else. Call it shaving his face. Whatever you want to call it. Like, that is the sort of thing which you need um, to get people excited in in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, we've got some um, some emails and stuff. That there was there was some stuff less than complimentary about ITV. A lot of people complaining that like 15 minutes before the start of a World Cup, they're having a discussion about the TMO bunker. Um, I, I mean, that's fair, I, isn't it? I mean, like, if, at least it's not, I don't know, some nonsense subject like climate change in rugby or whatever they waste their time, time on now or, you know, whatever... Um, I suppose it, I suppose it's relevant, and yeah. and, it, and it actually came in. It came to it happened in the game. So um, there, there are people that bet on that now. That bet on whether the TMO bunker will be used, whether the referral system will be used. That's that's now a bet which people lay. Well, they um, they put a they put Will Jordan into the bunker, didn't they? Yeah, that's what I mean. They put that up for review. And I, I, so yeah. there there are people that bet on whether the TMO bunker will be used for a review. I mean, not. betting markets working working mysterious ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I look, that'd, be, that'd be a good bet to bet that that will, will happen <clears throat> in every World Cup game. I bet you get amazing odds on that. Phil made a really good point yesterday, which was for Peter Stefter Toy's yellow card went to the bunker, and it was Phil's view that it wasn't a yellow card. I don't remember the actual um, situation, but the bunker reviewed it and said it didn't meet the threshold for a yellow card. And if it doesn't meet the threshold for a yellow card, they should just send him back on the field. Three three minutes into his yellow card, the bunker should work two ways. No, I think they decided it wasn't worthy of a red card. But what Phil's saying is he didn't think it was even worth a yellow card, and they should have the the flexibility to overrule the referee on that. Exactly, exactly. So you send him yeah. to the bunker, they over, they overrule, yeah. and three minutes later, Peter Steftatoy comes trotting back on. Yeah, and that'd be really interesting, right? Because the other team, France, do this. They didn't do it last night so much, but when they're a yellow card comes up they then really attack hard they did it to australia so it'd be very interesting to see him go into their mindset of yeah let's attack hard and then the guy come on come on after three minutes and do they adjust again i i'd, I'd love to see it bunker should be two ways i like it mm. i'm here for it and and it should be done like a like a roman caesar with someone with the thumb up and thumb down <laughs> Well, to the stadium. Rugby League, of course. Love the, love the crowd saying, mercy, mercy. Well, Rugby League, of course, pioneered this a long time ago when they had the TMO decide if it's a try or not and it'd be a countdown clock. And they had the decision of benefit of the doubts. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But basically it means like, we're not sure, give the try. So you give the benefit of the doubts. So you're three, two, one, benefit of the doubts. So we all have uh, these massive screens in uh, World Cup venues. I think a thumb up or a thumb down would be great. And I know rugby. I know Russell Crowe's a, a rugby league guy, so he probably wouldn't do it. But if he would do it for us, if he'd film just two clips, just two little gifs. <laughs> yes. 
now we're talking. We'll just get a hologram, Russell Crowe. Come on. We can do yeah. this. Or come on, rugby. Do you know we could use existing rugby footage? So if it's a red card, um, I quite like the image of the Kiwis in the hacker slitting their throats. So off. Uh Whereas I don't know what the positive one would be, but definitely, yeah, definitely the key, the a close up of like Ardy Surveyor doing the doing like the throat slit. You're gone. <laughs> See the Waybridge, the holographic Russell Crowe, um, Ardy Surveyor on the big screen. We've we've got all the ideas World Rugby needs. Exactly, we'll keep them coming through the World Cup. Well, they did uh, manage to team up with one guy this week. I don't know if you saw it. Um, Gareth Thomas is having his picture taken with Alan, with, with, with Alan Gilpin. He's got his HIV bus driving around France. It's incredible that this guy is. He, uh, he's back on ITV. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it, what goes on? I don't want it, to dwell on that too much, but it is incredible. No, it, it, is, it is remarkable. It were, uh, yeah, it is. It, it's just remarkable. It is. It's remarkable. Isn't it? And again, if you want to know why it's remarkable, just go and read the transcripts of the court hearing. Uh, oh, the solicitor's uh, letter in the Guardian. The solicitor's letter. Just read that. It is. It is. Um, it, it, you can only come to the, the conclusion to see Gareth Thomas in that role right now is remarkable. Remarkable. Yep. Quite. Yeah. So, is there a game today? I think there might be a game. I think there might be a couple. Ireland, Romania. Not. Right. Bo- not that bothered. Are you going to watch that? Uh, no, no. No. Sorry. Italy, Namibia. Okay. That'll be interesting to see where... Oh, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Is it is it Ireland-Romania today or is it Italy-Namibia? I can't remember which is the first game. I think it's Italy-Namibia, then it's Australia-Georgia, then it's England-Argentina. It's right? definitely Italy. Yeah, it is definitely Italy. Uh, and I know what the I know what the 8 o'clock game is. Yeah. So shall we 9 just, o'clock game here. So let, do you know what? I don't actually have the Argentina team. So I know the England team. Let, so let's just talk about England for a second. You're an Englishman, Tim. Um, well, I mean, by the time anyone's listened to this, the game will be done. So we should just do this in a after the after the fact. That's a great point. Yeah, right, that is a great point. Well, is there any any takeaways? Is there anything you want to say about this? Uh, two players that weren't in England's initial thirty-three man squad are starting ahead of the people that were picked ahead of them. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, you can say, well, that just shows that he made the wrong calls in the first place, or doesn't know how he's setting his team up. Or alternatively, you could actually glass half full take on that is, um, well, that's that's good that he's rewarding people that are obviously training well. In yeah. In the case of Johnny Mac and Alex Mitchell. So, I guess it, you know, it shows that, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I just expand on one point, which is it does show that they're taking training seriously. You know, as in like what you do in training matters and that's important. Um, yeah. Although it maybe back to your first point, it's like, did they get it right? Did they have the right mix of players? Were they hungry enough, these players? We're and does it show out. that the two guys that have come in late are hungry? We're going to find <clears> out. <throat> because, mate, it's only a couple of hours. It's Italy, Namibia at 12 your time, 1pm here. Uh, Ireland, Romania at 2.30. Australia, Georgia at 5 and England, Argentina at 8. Oh, so my word. I'm just reading the Argentina fill, team. You're, you're fill screwed. Fill your boots, mate. You are screwed. Fill your boots. Fill your boots. Let, let, let's, let's hop back on when those games are done. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this now. I'm, I'm just going through the names. I'm going to go, mate. Best of luck. I, I don't. I don't, I don't want to hear you just talk about. I want to keep the optimism. I don't want to hear you. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk about the game when it's done. I'm getting nervous now. Although, can I just say on um, Ultimate Rugby, the Ultimate app, uh, Ben Earl's starting eight. He's not, is he? Tom Curry's yes. starting eight. No, no, no. He's starting eight. Oh, is he? It may, 
it may well be that they scrummage in different positions, attack defense. Who knows? But no, Bennett Ben Ben is wearing number eight. Oh, good. Yeah, I think that's the right option. I think I, it's a good looking mm. England team, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. You yeah, to, it oh, is. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to put Just... I'm going to put my phone down, and we're not going to talk about that anymore because we will have plenty of it tomorrow. When yes. uh, I will be I will be in a glorious mood tomorrow. Tell me then. <laughs> um. What have you been up to in France so far? What, what, what's your camper van like, supplied by Ford? Oh, mate, it's amazing. Tell me about it's it. It's a, a Ford Transit Custom Nugget long wheelbase. It has Oof. a toilet at the back. I'm not, I'm not going to use the toilet in case of emergencies only. Yep. It's just a, an extra occasional seat if I have, uh, you know, like at Christmas when you get like the occasional seats that you get one of the <laughs> garden chairs in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, You can sit there on the loo. Um, it's great. It's, it's, really, uh, it's brand new. Uh, it's bloody Brilliant. What's it like sleeping? It's 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 great. It's got air conditioning. So my my brother's got a camper van. I can't say it really appeals to me in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's all. But about, I've never used like, it. The, yeah. The point. If if if, if you were parked <clears> up outside <throat> the house, you wouldn't choose to sit in it. But it's the fact you can park on uh, you can park on a cliff top overlooking the Bay of Cassis <laughs> and wake up to that in the morning. So, That's so, the whole point of the camper van. So, and. Go on, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, so I picked it up from Paris. I drove down to um, my, my aunt and uncle actually have a house near Dijon, um, like right in the middle of the wine region. So I actually stayed with them the first night so I could just oh, set the fan nice. up and stuff. Yeah. And then I meandered my way down to down to Marseille and Cassis just up the coast is a, is a lovely spot. I'm currently just um, just on the edge of the Colonk National Park, which is mm-hmm. just outside of uh, just outside of Marseille. Um, so yeah, I sort of go in to do the work and the rugby bit, and then just and then get out. Okay, so I know everyone's thinking what I'm thinking now, which is, um, what is your podcast menu for all these long drives? Podcast menu? What do you mean? As oh, in, right. What are you listening to? Um, you must be getting a lot of audio done. I'm. Do you know what? I'm trying to get better at French. <clears throat> I genuinely really want people keep having brilliant English and talking to me. I tried to speak in French, and then they just start speaking English at me, and I'm like, I want to get better. So I have actually been listening to French radio and just trying to by osmosis just have it sort of filter in a little. Oh, bit. that's interesting. So, uh, so <clears throat> how do they say um, and now Bon Jovi in French? Because I assume that, that that's what that's what you'll be listening to. That's, I, I don't know the have, have, now. Have, have you got the French for news weather, news weather traffic nailed down? unfortunately not Uh, and what are you doing with the rest of your rest of your day today in france where are you gonna watch these games i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna i've got a i've got a bit of uh virgin work to do i'm I'm gonna be uh, talking to talk sport in a bit and then i'm heading on into marseille to watch all of the rugby so yeah i'm doing a bit today for bbc berkshire of all um of all stations i'm doing a half 10 um are you not going to go to a pub and just watch three games back to back and get slowly drunk? Well, yeah, if if you ever let me go, then I might. <laughs> right. Noted, noted. Hints taken. Get get out of here. Nice one, Jay. I'll, I'll chat to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Nice one, bud. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.